From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Wade is in the house. If you'd like to give us a phone call, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. And um, if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky, and Jeff Burson is monitoring those social media feeds for us today. And our host is he is every Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes. How are you? I'm doing great, Jack, and I hope all of you are too. I'm getting ready to head out on the road for these Advent Parish missions. I got two this year. Uh, the first one in my hometown of Modesto at St. Joseph's Parish, followed by Saints Nicholas and William Combined Parishes there in Los Altos, California, near San Jose. So I'm looking forward to that to that trek here. The, I leave the day after Turkey Day, as do many of the Fathers of Mercy missionaries, and uh, we'll be out and about. Happy New Year! That's right, exactly, exactly. Ah, you caught my uh, you caught my little hint there. <laughs> Happy New Year is right, because for us Catholic Christians, indeed for all Christians, really, uh, Advent inaugurates the new liturgical year, right? So the first Sunday of Advent really is our New Year's Day every year, right? Uh, This year it falls on Sunday, November 27th. And then on on the second or New Year's Day, January 1st, the Great Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, which is also the octave day of the eight-day celebration of of Christmas on the 25th of December, we, uh, we can renew those resolutions that we make on the first Sunday of Advent for the new liturgical year. Why is that? Because our, our human lives are called to revolve around the beauty and constancy of the sacred liturgy and the liturgical year and all of its uh, seasons and uh, the fruit therein those seasons, whether it's Advent or Christmas or Christmas Tide, uh, the two ordinary times or Lent or Easter or Easter uh, Tide, what we call Paschal Tide. It's, it's just a great time. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, Advent in regards to just a general definition of, of the liturgical season. The word Advent comes from the Latin word meaning coming, huh? Uh, Adveniere, huh? Uh, in general, the word Advent regards the coming or arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Well, Jesus is coming, and Advent is intended to be a season of preparation for his arrival. While we typically regard Advent as a joyous season, it is also intended to be a, a period of preparation, much like Lent, although not as penitential as Lent in the Church's documents. Prayer, penance, and fasting are appropriate during this season of Advent, but whereas Lent is more about penance per se, Advent is more about a quiet 
uh, reflective and sober awakening to the coming of Christ, both his first coming as a babe in, in Bethlehem and a manger and all of his humility, and also his coming as the just and merciful judge at the end of time. While Advent is not as strict as Lent, as I just said, there, there are no liturgical guidelines for fasting during Advent. Uh, it is meant to be a period of self-preparation and self-examination, however. So, for example, confession is very important to try and make sincerely a good, holy, reverent confession sometime during Advent and then hopefully again just before Christmas sometime. Many parishes have their penitential services just before Advent, just before Christmas during Advent, and just before Easter during Lent. So take advantage of that. Check with your parish schedule, for example, to see when that penance service is, or go at one of the regularly scheduled times that the parish has confessions. Um, the, two, the two seasons are related, Advent and Lent. Uh, for example, the, the color violet is associated with Advent. Uh, it is also the color for penance that is used liturgically during Lent, and the faithful can fast somewhat during the first two weeks in particular, and receive, as I said, the Sacrament of Reconciliation in preparation for the celebration of Christmas. The color of the third Sunday of Advent, Gaudete Sunday, is rose. Gaudete means rejoice in Latin. It marks the halfway point of Advent, just like uh, Laetare Sunday during Lent, where we also wear rose, uh, marks the halfway point of Lent. Uh, this color of rose, Jack, symbolizes joy and represents the, the happiness we will experience when Jesus comes again. Uh, this third Sunday of Advent, again, Gaudete Sunday, then, is a day of anticipatory celebration and preparation for, for Christmas. And finally, Sundays during Advent, just as during Lent, uh, should not be given to fasting, but instead to celebration, because we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord every Sunday, right? Every Sunday is uh, a little Easter, right? Uh, it is important to remember, however, that there are no particular liturgical rules for how the laity should observe Advent, as again, it is not as liturgically strict as Lent. And on that note, I'd like to make mention that some of the religious orders in the church, especially the monastic contemplative communities like the Carmelites, and the Cistercians. They look upon Advent, Jack, as the little Lent. Huh? So they take on community uh, practices that would be similar uh, to Lent that have a little bit more of a, of a strict uh, notion to them. But for all of us, whether single, uh, married, consecrated religious, active or contemplative, uh, brother, priest, or sister, uh, Advent is definitely all of these things for us, a sober awakening, uh, a quiet, reflective, uh, devout, and joyful season, and a season of expectation. There's a great quote by St. Charles Borromeo, a bishop of, of the church during the time of, of, of after the Council of Trent, during the post-Council of Trent reforms of the church, which were, which were greatly needed. He says this, Beloved, now is the acceptable time spoken of by the Holy Spirit, now is the day of salvation, this day. It is also the day for peace and reconciliation. Indeed, it is a season, the great season of Advent. And that's uh, kind of hearkening to 2 Corinthians 6, 2, wherein we read, this is the day of salvation, this is the day of the Lord, right? We don't know if what tomorrow brings. We don't know if we'll be living tomorrow. Uh, we don't know if we'll be living by the end of this day. So we want to live in joyful, uh, anticipatory uh, expectation of our Lord Jesus Christ for his first coming as a babe, his second coming as a just and merciful judge, but also that intermediate coming that many of the church fathers wrote about which is the particular judgment when we die and we face our 
Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our triune Godhead, even face to face. And then another great quote from St. Mary Euphrasia, uh, a great saint who, like St. Charles Borromeo during the uh, post-Council of Trent era, uh, was fearless. Uh, she was a little later during the French Revolution. St. Mary Euphrasia was a French Roman Catholic nun, best known as the foundress of the Congregation of Our Lady of Charity of the Good Shepherd. She was born on an island off the coast of France while her parents had been exiled there by the French revolutionaries due to her parents' faithfulness to their Catholic faith. So this is the era that she grew up in, and she tells us this, St. Mary Euphrasia, regarding the liturgical season of Advent. She says, let us not allow this holy season of Advent to slip by without spiritual fruit. No, it is the time of salvation, so let us all profit from it. Amen to that. There she's kind of hearkening, if you will, to Ephesians 5.16, where we read, Make the most of your present opportunity now, for these are evil days. Make the most of your present opportunity now, for these are evil days. And, you know, we suffer from the wound of the original sin, so it's a broken, wounded world, but we're here to sanctify it while we're still living on earth. So I want our... our uh, Open line listeners today, Jack, to call in and share with us some of the Advent practices they do as a family, as a married couple, as an individual, or, or call us and witness to us what your parish does during Advent. Um, does your parish have the Advent wreath? Uh, how is it lit each Sunday? Do families come up and do it? Uh, does the priest does it? What, what are some of the different customs and whatnot during Advent? I especially want to hear from some of our homeschooling dads and moms. Huh? They're great practicing the liturgical year in the home, which is actually our springboard topic for next week when I'm broadcasting live from St. Joseph's Parish in Modesto, California during their parish mission there for Advent on the Most Holy Eucharist, titled The Most Holy Eucharist Gift and Sacrament. The same parish mission will be offered the following week at Saints Nicholas and William Combined Parish there uh, in Los Altos. Uh, so call us today. Give us a, a witness about what you do during Advent. How did you grow up celebrating Advent as a child? That's another great thing. A couple more quotes here uh, from the Church, uh, some beautiful quotes here regarding Advent. Uh, it, from the 1969 General Norms for the Liturgical Year and Calendar, paragraph number 39, we read this, Advent has a twofold character as a season to prepare us for Christmas when Christ's first coming to us is remembered, and as a season when that remembrance directs the mind and heart to await Christ's second coming at the end of time. Advent is thus a period for both devout and joyful expectation. So give us a call. Let us know how you celebrate Advent leading up to the great solemnity of Christmas, the birth of our Lord. Eighth. Excuse me, 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. A brand new book, Hot Off the Presses for November from EWTN Publishing, Women Made New, Reflections on Adversity, Transformation, and Healing. 
uh, by our good friend Kristalina Everett. This powerful book features the captivating stories of 12 women who overcame personal trials and societal deceptions to become champions for the kingdom of God. You'll acquire a step-by-step spiritual defense plan, and you'll grow in confidence as you experience healing from life's wounds and God's mercy in making all things new. And you'll learn to encourage others and receive affirmation yourself on the road to wholeness and holiness. Women Made New Reflections on Adversity, Transformation, and Healing by Kristalina Everett, available at EWTNRC.com. By Catholic Shop, EWTNRC.com. Phone lines are wide open for you, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. I think people are waiting to call until you read some more quotes. Yeah, great. Well, there's another one I want to share that's fantastic. Now, as I read this, I want everybody to think about their state in life and vocation. Again, I can't stress this enough, and I know I've said this many times on the air before, whether you're single or married or a consecrated religious priest, brother, sister, a doctor, farmer, lawyer, the homeschooling mother of three, the, the divorced dad of four striving to live a chaste life, um, the college student who's single and practicing courtship and wants to do it chastely because he knows his confirmation and baptism calls him to do it, um, the retired grandparent, the working grandparent, the recently widowed grandparent, it, do- it doesn't matter. How about the grandparents, Jack, that just celebrated their 68th wedding anniversary, uh, both still living and both still with each other? What a beautiful witness of marriage that is, huh? So think of all these states in life, right? The actives, the contemplatives, uh, as far as religious go, uh, the diocesan priests, the seminary. Listen to this about the whole liturgical year, which again is our springboard for next week with specific examples how people and families can live it out. But regarding the whole liturgical year, kind of wetting the palate for next week's springboard since we're about to enter into Advent, which kicks off the liturgical year, listen to this, quote, within the cycle of an entire year, a 12-month period, Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, unfolds the whole mystery of Christ, her Bridegroom. Recalling thus the mysteries of redemption, the church then opens up to all the faithful the riches of her Lord's powers and merits available to each one of them, so that these are in some way made present for all time throughout the ages, and all the faithful are thus enabled to lay hold upon them and become filled with God's saving grace. How beautiful is that? Regarding the whole liturgical year, and that's from the Second Vatican Council's document on the liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium. Uh, each, each of the, uh, the Second Vatican Council put out 16 documents, each one of those on a specific area. Well, Sacrosanctum Concilium is the constitution on the sacred liturgy, and that's from paragraph number 102. So again, our listeners, call in today. Uh, give us a witness about Advent, what it means to you, uh, how you plan to practice it this year, whether as an individual or as a family. Maybe there's a priest out there listening right now uh, to Open Line Tuesday Live. We've had priests call in many times to the show. What are some of the Advent activities taking place at your parish? Are some of the groups focusing on Advent, some of the men's groups, some of the women's groups? Um, give us a call and give us a witness about what your parish is doing. Same with dads and moms and some even some kids. We've had children call in before, teenagers, young adults in college, uh, in the workforce. Give us a call. Tell us how you're going to practice Advent this year, how you've practiced it in the past, and what Advent means to you in that joyful expectation and sober awakening 
that Holy Mother Church wants us to have when contemplating the two comings of Christ, and really the three comings of Christ, again, mentioning that, that intermediate coming between his first and second coming, when we each have our particular judgment. There's also the second last half of, of, of Advent I like to mention, the second or last half, Jack, and, and maybe we can start taking some callers right after and this. We, but and we get a full last half this year. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Uh, the 17th through the 25th is what? You got it. Nine days, meaning what? You got it. A novena period. Start your uh, Christmas novena on the 17th and end on the 25th. And what do we have every year from the 17th through the 23rd? Those seven days, those first seven days of the nine-day period of the 17th through the 25th. We have the great O antiphons, which lead us into a very uh, soon expected awareness of the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. December 17th is, is the O Antiphon, O Sapientia, O Wisdom. December 18th is O Adonai, O Lord of Might. December 19th is O Radix Jesse, O Flower of Jesse's Stem. December 20th is O Clavis Davidica, O Key of David. December 21st is O Oriens, O Rising Dawn. December 22nd is O Rex Gentium, O King of Nations. And December 23rd is O Emmanuel. Huh? O come, O come, Emmanuel. O God with us. So remember, that's the first seven days of that nine-day period, which is the 17th through the 25th proper. The first seven days is 17th through the 23rd. We hear the O Antiphons two times a day. We hear them as the Gospel Alleluia verse at the Mass for that day. And we hear them as the Antiphons for the uh, divine office each of those seven days for the Canticle of Zechariah and Canticle of Mary. So uh, that's something worth uh, remembering, too, that Holy Mother Church is placing these O antiphons in our lap. And might I say, they've been put to music over the centuries, Jack, by some of the most awesome composers of our wonderful and beautiful human race, uh, uh, Bach, Mozart, etc., have, have put these to music and have done so beautifully as well. Uh, so, again, this, this final countdown period where we're really focusing on the coming of Christ at Christmas. It's interesting, while focusing on the two comings of Christ, as Advent does, it's in reverse order, right? The first part of Advent focuses on his second coming. It's the latter part of Advent that focuses on his first coming. And really, we began focusing on the preparation for Advent at the end of the 32nd week of Ordinary Time, just a couple of weeks ago, when we started getting uh, all the readings, uh, for example, from the book of Revelation, the, the book of the Apocalypse, the End Times, uh, as some of our readings for the weekday Mass, and even some of the Sunday Masses uh, of the three-year Sunday cycle and, and the two-year weekday cycle, beginning towards the latter end of the 32nd week of Ordinary Time, and we're now in the 34th, final week of Ordinary Time, uh, and uh, the Church wants us to start hearkening to Advent by giving us these readings, and even some of the Gospels during the 33rd and 34th week of ordinary time, including the Sundays, let alone the weekdays, we have Christ talking about his second coming, like today's. Uh, from St. Luke, we had Christ giving the signs that will accompany the end, right? Uh, I remember being at the, the Cathedral of Corpus Christi in Texas, and it was, it was during Advent, and one of the readings was from the book of Revelation. Well, the lector must have really been into the reading, Jack, because at the end, instead of her saying uh, the word of the Lord, she said, the end of the world, and everybody said, "Thanks be to God." <laughs> you know, <laughs> now, you know, now, although it's kind of comical, 
How how true is that? How true is that? It ought to be anyway. It it ought to be. That's right. You're exactly right. That we're so in love with our Lord. We're so in love with the triune Godhead, the angels and saints, and our Catholic faith, our one holy Catholic and apostolic faith, that should our Lord come right now, this very moment in his second coming, and somebody says, hey, the end of the world, it's it's begun. The parousia, it's, it's begun. It's right now. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So what a great, great season this is. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still a couple of open lines for you at 833-288-3986. First up today is Margaret in Houston, Texas, listening on the EWTN app. Margaret, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for answering my phone call. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say uh, to Father Wade and to you, Jack, too, with this being the week of Thanksgiving, that I'm very thankful for Father Wade and the um, vocation that you have and you being just a wonderful priest and all the joy and beauty you bring to the world we live in. And I'm very grateful to God for you and for all the wonderful priests through EWTN who've helped me and my family during um, tough times that we've had to face. So I wanted to say thank you. And <laughs> and um, also towards the Advent question, I wanted to say that my three little kids and I are hoping to do the Jesse tree that you guys promote with the ornaments through the EWC oh, and the catalog. So I'm planning on buying them. I just haven't done it yet. Well, <laughs> great. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. Yeah, let me tell you something, Margaret. You better get on that now because the Advent wreaths and those Jesse tree ornaments go fast. I know. I have the wreath already. I bought it from you last year, so I have that. My son said, "Mom, you got to get it down before th- you know, you know, before this upcoming you know week." And I said, "I know. Thank you for reminding me." <laughs> Well, Margaret, I want to thank you so much for your kind uh, comment and your thanking me for this Thanksgiving, for how I have been able to feed you spiritually from what you said, and you and your husband and family. So praise God, it's all his work. May I ask your Mm -hmm. husband's first name so I can lift up the two of you by your first names tonight during my praying of Vespers along with your children? Yes. Yes, thank you. Evan and Margaret are his first name, my name. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate that, and God bless you and your family, especially during this Advent as we approach Christmas. Thank you. You too, Father Wade. Thank you. God bless you now. Take care. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. We can go to Julie. I think we've got time here. A first-time caller driving through the great state of Washington listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Julie, you're on with Father Wade. Hello, Father Hi, can Julie. You thank me? You. Yes, I certainly can, and thank you for your call today from Washington. Yes, I heard you and found insight in Spokane this morning with Tom. Oh, wonderful. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, we, yeah. we highlighted Great. the fact that I'm going there for the retreat the weekend of January 20th through the 22nd at the Immaculate Heart of Mary Retreat Center there, uh, owned and operated by yes. the Diocese of Spokane. I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to try to go to that. So. Oh, praise thank God. You. Great. And and uh, I wanted to say thank you for your spiritual direction, because I do this drive every week. I've been doing it for, well, 15 years altogether to other places with my other grandchildren. But, um, okay. yeah, it's, I've just learned so much from this program. And I had to leave early today, so I caught the program the first time it was on. And I got to call in, and that's just a real blessing. Thank you, Father. 
Oh, you're most welcome. And God bless you and your grandkids and all of your family this Advent as we approach the great celebration of Christmas and the secular new year, beginning with the great solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, on January 1st. And I will lift up all of you this evening as well in my Vespers and even my Compline. I'll lift up these families that are calling in today during both of those prayer periods that I have yet to pray. And uh, just thank you so much for listening in to Open Line Tuesday or any Open Line any day or any EWTN programming. We greatly, greatly appreciate our our listenership and our viewership. Thank you so much. God bless you, Julie. We appreciate the phone call. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-3986. That's 833-288-EWTN. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday, talking faith, family, and fellowship with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you're listening in central Kansas, your Catholic radio station needs to hear from you next week. Divine Mercy Radio is airing their fall carathon next Tuesday through Friday. So if you're listening in Great Bend, Hayes, Colby, Lindsborg, or anywhere in the area, please support your good friends at Divine Mercy Radio in central Kansas. And anybody who's listening on an AM or FM station, I would encourage you to support and uh, and help to keep on the air that very station. We uh, we have a YouTube viewer in Poland, Pieter, wow. who says that we celebrate early morning masses, 6 a.m., about Holy Mother called Rorati, from Latin Rorati Celi, uh, and Tiffany. Depending on the parish, there are various local customs uh, about light and candles. Sometimes we start in the darkness and we light candles on the Gloria. Sometimes we light them at the end and come back with uh, and come back with lighting candles. Um, so some some Advent traditions from Poland for us. Yeah, fantastic, great, and and the multiplicity of them. It sounds like, of course, the Polish people are very very faithful, very faithful people. In regards to their Catholic faith, that we see that in the life of John Paul II, for example, and Saint Faustina Kowalska, and uh, the Divine Mercy Seer, with her writings fully approved about the Divine Mercy devotion. So a lot of faith there, and we see that in all those customs. You know, uh, something I just came across, Jack, that's pretty interesting. Mentioning John Paul II and Saint Faustina, I just read this for a period of about eighteen years. John Paul II, as the young Karawatiwa, uh, Sister Faustina. And Father Maximilian Colby all lived by each other within 30 miles for a period of about 18 years. They all lived within 30 miles from each other. That's that's saints in the making there, man. That's crazy. <laughs> Back to the phones we go. Terry is in Fairfax, Virginia, listening on the Ave Maria radio app. Terry, you are on with Father Wade. Hello, Father Wade, and thanks for taking my phone call. This is regarding purgatory. So I've been, you know, I've been um, reading up and seeing videos on the on on the, on the importance of humans to pray for the soul's purgatory. Mm-hmm. And then I, I was thinking to myself, why is it that humans need to advance the release of a soul 
So if the human doesn't know the soul, doesn't know who to pray for, then that soul gets stuck. Why does God need humans to pray? I mean, are we asking God, hey, give me a favor and move that person along? Uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Okay, um, great question. And then the second one, the second one is, is one funeral mass the same as 30 consecutive masses, Gregorian masses, as far as the salvation of a soul? Thank you. Okay, great question. Well, first of all, uh, we're asked to pray for the faithful departed, the dead, because the faithful departed, who are in purgatory if they went there, are part of the three-tiered hierarchy known as the doctrine of the communion of saints. The holy souls in purgatory are the members of the church suffering, also known as members of the church penitent. Huh? Those of us still living on earth, Terry, are members of the church militant. Uh, still fighting the good fight, as the New Testament tells us. Remember that confirmation, the sacrament of confirmation, made you a what of Christ, Terry? It made you a soldier of Christ, because you're a member of the church militant still living on earth. And those who have attained heaven, uh, whether canonized officially by the church or not, those souls in heaven are members of the church triumphant. So there's a real communio, Latin for uh, communication. There's a real communio going on uh, between uh, the members of the church militant to the church triumphant, the members of the church militant, to the church suffering or penitent, the members of the church triumphant, to, uh, to the church penitent, etc. So for those of you watching live right now on our YouTube live feed or our Facebook live feed at EWTN Radio, it's us to them, them for us, us to them, them for us. You can see the way I'm moving my, my hands and my fingers. It's us to them, them for us, us to them, back and forth. There's this real communio going on. So when a soul dies, when a person dies, uh, the, the body and soul are separated. We don't know where the soul goes, okay? If it's in hell, it doesn't need our prayers. If they died in a state of willful, purposeful, unrepentant, mortal sin, and they went to hell by their own doing, no prayers will aid them. So we don't pray for the for the members of the uh, of of the damned, the members of the damned. Their 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 state in hell does not benefit from our prayers. But the holy souls in purgatory who are assured heaven, who are assured heaven, they do benefit from our prayers. Now, if we don't pray for them, the members of the church penitent or the church suffering, they will still get to heaven, no doubt, because they are assured heaven in purgatory. They died in a state of, of grace. They died, died in a state of grace, but still attached to their sin. But once they die and they're there, they are assured heaven. All our prayers do, and, and it's a big thing, by the way, is it helps, it helps aid that process, okay? And there's multiple, multiple uh, scripture passages, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, in defense of purgatory. And I'd like to direct you to the Catechism of the Catholic Church to discover those. Uh, paragraph number 1031, 1472, and 1469 all refer to the temporal punishment. Uh, if one commits a mortal sin while still living on earth, it immediately merits uh, eternal punishment in hell. But if they confess the mortal sin, it then merits temporal punishment, okay? So when the priest gives you absolution, Terry, your guilt is forgiven in the confession. When you confess any and all mortal sins and any venial sins you choose to take to the confessional. The absolution, Terry, uh, forgives you of the guilt, but the temporal punishment remains. Why is that? Well, because of the four categorical consequences that are due to sin each time we sin. 
the personal, social, ecclesial, and cosmic consequences of sin. And those are all spelled out, especially in number 1469 of the Catechism. So uh, those who died not yet perfectly purified from their attachment to sin, but yet died in a state of grace with no mortal sin, go to purgatory. Thereby meaning that if when we die, we have already atoned perfectly for those past forgiven sins and their temporal punishment that are due for them because of the personal, social, ecclesial, and cosmic consequences that they caused in the individual's life and the world's life, we then go straight to heaven. There's no need for temporal punishment because we atoned for that temporal punishment while still on earth. This is why in my morning offering, I pray for the grace to embrace and accept any and all temporal punishment for my already forgiven mortal and venial sins as God sees them, thereby attaining the greatest of all graces of entering heaven immediately when I die. That's what I want to do. As beautiful and as, as merciful as the doctrine and reality of purgatory is, who the heck wants to go there? I don't want to go there, you know? So uh, we have a duty to pray for them because we're part of this communio, of, of the doctrine of the communion of saints. They will get to heaven if we don't pray for them, but we can aid in the process for them. And if you pray for a loved one that you did know on earth and now they're deceased and you offer suffrages for them, you offer prayers for them because they might be in purgatory, great, it aids them in purgatory. But if they've gone to heaven already and you don't know that, God will apply those prayers to a soul in purgatory who needs them. Fear not. Fear not. That's the constant teaching tradition of the church, that any prayers for the faithful departed who, who are no longer in purgatory but are in heaven, God applies those prayers in all of his omniscient and omnipotent wisdom to a soul that needs them. I know people who pray daily for, quote, the most forgotten soul in purgatory, end quote. They pray for the most forgotten soul in purgatory. How awesome is that to be exercising your membership in the church militant, still living on earth, praying like that for the church suffering or the church penitent in heaven and in uh, purgatory, excuse me. And uh, again, our Lord applies the prayers for the for the holy souls uh, to those who need them. If you're pl praying for a particular person by name and they're no longer in purgatory, our Lord knows what to do with those prayers. And your your phone call, uh, Terry, is very timely. I close with this because, of course. Uh, uh, November is the month set aside on the, on the church's devotional calendar annually for the holy souls in purgatory. And first, in fact, the first eight days, uh, you can gain a plenary indulgence for the holy souls in purgatory by a t uh, visiting a cemetery and praying on their behalf and fulfilling the other four conditions for uh, a plenary indulgence, not because of the works themselves, but because of the charity they help uh, foster and prosper, because uh, we're called to be charitable. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, right? So we fulfill those good works, not for the works themselves, but for the love they help prosper, the charity they help prosper for our fellow human persons, both deceased and living. Uh, and then that particular indulgence, the first eight days praying in a cemetery for the deceased, the faithful departed, can be applied only to the holy souls in purgatory, not for other people still living on earth. The last thing about uh, uh, the plenary indulgence, you can, you can always strive for a plenary indulgence once a day, either for yourself or a deceased loved one, known or unknown to you. Um, you what you cannot do is carry out a plenary indulgence for another living person who's still living. Why? Because they can still merit for themselves. They, they can still work out their own salvation, Philippians 2.12. Uh, the section on indulgences in the Catechism comes right after the section on penance, because indulgences are—the doctrine of indulgences is properly tied to the Church's doctrine on the reality of sin, 
both mortal and venial. There is sin that is deadly and sin that is not deadly, First John tells us. So it's all tied together, and so this is why the Church's doctrine on, perg- on uh, plenary indulgences, uh, it comes right after uh, the section on the reality of sin and the need for penance. And that section on indulgences uh, can be found uh, in number 1471 of the Universal Catechism, number 1471, which I believe is the same, one of the same paragraphs I quoted earlier, because it also mentions the need for penance. So thank you, Terry, for such a great question. We really appreciate it, especially uh, so timely during this month of November. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open phone lines for you and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Deborah is watching us on YouTube, and she says, I am convinced of the real presence and want to partake in the Eucharist. I am a Christian. Where did Jesus say I can't do it because I'm not a quote-unquote Catholic? I'm not at rest because I'm excluded from him. And then as a postscript, she says, I was baptized years ago in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, beautiful. It sounds like you have a valid baptism then. Uh, Precisely because Holy Communion of the Eucharist uh, is, Deborah, is precisely for those who are in, quote, Holy Communion, end quote, with the one holy Catholic and apostolic church founded by Jesus Christ. And we know that by her four marks, one holy Catholic, meaning universal, and apostolic. We can trace her foundations, for example, to the Twelve Apostles. So uh, because Holy Communion, receiving Holy Communion, that is receiving the Eucharist, is just about that, Holy Communion, uh, professing in unity, for example, the 40-plus truths in their in their uh, 10 articles of the Nicene Creed from 325 AD, for example, professing all of that uh, is what is what being in communion is all about, including the Eucharistic doctrine. So that's very, very important. So it sounds like, and if I might suggest, that that you really want to look at the Catholic Church from the way you typed uh, your comments here uh, on the YouTube uh, sidebar. So I would recommend that you visit your local Catholic parish and uh, inquire about their uh, RCIA program, the, the Right for Christian Initiation of Adults, um, and, and find out uh, more about it and see if it appeals to you more to look more closely at possibly joining uh, the Catholic Church. But that's the reason why, because Holy Communion is precisely about the reality of just that, communion. You can't profess belief in one sacrament like the Eucharist, uh, Deborah, but not profess belief in the other six. So if you believe in the Eucharist, which it sounds like you definitely do, but you don't believe in the reality of confession as the ordinary channel for the forgiveness of mortal sins, then you're not in communion with the fullness of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. If you don't believe in the beauty and reality of natural marriage of one man, one woman for life, uh, but yet believe in the Eucharist, it's another example of not being in communion. If you don't see the validity of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, or if you don't believe in a valid priesthood, which you probably do believe in the valid priesthood, because it would be a valid priesthood that brings into reality and confection, if you will, the reality of the Eucharist on the altar. So you probably believe in the priesthood, even though you may or may not realize it, if you believe in the Eucharist, because the two cannot be separated. The sac- None of the sacraments can be separated, really, but the sacrament of the reality of 
ministerial hol holy orders cannot be separated from the Eucharist, and the sacrament of the Eucharist cannot be separated from the reality of the sacrament of the ministerial holy orders, sacrament of holy orders. So, yeah, I would recommend uh, you write a beautiful, be you write these beautiful comments. I would recommend that you look at the RCIA program in your local parish. Hopefully, it's a solid, faithful parish. Uh, you know, like any other church, the Catholic Church has some uh, liberalism in it uh, by priests and pastors who are not so faithful uh, to the catechesis of the church and in line with the chair of Peter. Uh, so you want to make sure that hopefully the parish that you go to to inquire with RCIA, inquire, inquire about RCIA, is truly solid and orthodox and right in line with the chair of Peter and all that the church teaches. So great question, Deborah. God bless you, and, and may the Holy Spirit continue to guide you into the fullness of truth. God bless you now. As we approach the Advent season this Sunday, be sure to join us for Advent Reflections. It'll air Sunday at 4 and 8.30 p.m. Eastern right here on EWTN Radio. You can join us for our series of Advent Reflections on the readings from the four Sundays of Advent. That's 4 and 8.30 p.m. Eastern, each of the four Sundays of Advent starting this Sunday right here on EWTN Radio. Uh, next up is Michael in Spokane, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Michael, you're on with Father Wade. Oh, thank you both for taking my call. Thank you, Father Wade. Also, thank you for coming to the Coeur d'Alene, Idaho Men's Retreat, you and Dr. Ray. Oh, great. Yeah, we had a great time that weekend. Were you there? No, I couldn't make it, I'm sorry to say, but I was praying for all of you. <laughs> Well, we had a great tag team together, he and I, uh, Dr. Ray. Several times over the course of the weekend, I've kept calling him Father Ray. <laughs> and and, and uh, he got a kick out of that, and he said, it's a good thing Father Mitch isn't here. Father Mitch Pock would never let me, let me live it down if, if, he, if he knew I was being referred to as a priest. <laughs> but he is, a, he is a physical father. Dr. Ray is a physical father, so I wasn't too far off. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, you had good weather, too. Beautiful country there, Coeur d'Alene. Yes, well, that's you right. know, recently, um, yeah, Pope Francis said at the Christ the King Mass that the laity need to, need to get their hands out of their pockets. The laity need to get involved, such as not being, a, you know, this is my take, too. Not, we need to say Merry Christmas more, not be afraid of that, or speak yeah. on pro-life issues, not fear that, or display the nativity scene. You know, the sin of omission is, is the brain to remain silent is perhaps one of the deadliest sins on moral issues. So mm -hmm. how can Catholics become more involved in what would you suggest? Well, great, great question. You know, uh, why, why can't or how can we get more Catholics to be vocal about the moral issues of the day, as Pope Francis recently exhorted all of us to be more vocal about? Well, uh, good question. I love talking about the moral issues, and i got to be honest with you, I don't think it's just because I'm a priest and a moralist as a priest. I believe just as a, as a, as a Catholic man who loves his faith, priest or not, uh, as a Catholic man who knows of the goodness of the human person, although born and conceived and born in a wounded state with the original sin, we're called to greatness. Uh, this was a constant theme in Pope Benedict XVI's um, papacy, that the human person is called to greatness. We're not called to comfort. Uh, we're not called to uh, have an easy life, but we're called to greatness. You know, regarding the moral issues that, that you're wondering why we're not more vocal on, um, Michael, I, I want to give you the quote of the definition of morality in the Universal Catechism. Listen to this. It's beautifully worded. Referring, uh, morality refers to the goodness or evil of human actions. Human freedom makes a person a moral subject or a moral agent. 
able to judge the morality, the goodness or evil of, of the acts which are chosen. The morality of human acts depends on the object or nature of the action, the intention or end foreseen, and the circumstances of the action. We are called to pursue the good, the true, and the beautiful in concrete daily actions, as number 1803 of the Catechism tells us, with our wonderful makeup of a body-soul compositeness, right? We don't have bodies, we are bodies. We don't have souls, we are souls. That's how intimate and intricate the body-soul compositeness is in the human person. So when we're talking about moral issues, we're talking about the human person being a moral agent in moral actions, in moral activities. And we're called to enact the five bodily senses, sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing, the four primary faculties of the soul, namely the intellect, the will, memory, and imagination, and gear these nine great gifts uh, towards the good, the true, and the beautiful in concrete daily actions. I think it begins, uh, Michael, with good, solid preaching, good, solid catechesis. It begins also with each individual lay member of the church having a desire to want to ignite that fire under themselves, to be a voice of truth, to want to be a, a, a voice of our Lord Jesus Christ, truly living their baptism, truly living out their confirmation, sustained by regular Eucharist, sustained by regular confession, whether, again, one be single or, or married or even in holy orders, and even if one be a valid candidate for the anointing of the sick, living this, this sacramental economy, what, what the Church calls the sacramental economy. Remember, the seven sacraments are the seven primary channels, right, of receiving God's sanctifying grace. Then there's the seven gifts and the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit that we're called to enact in our life and live in our life. And, and if you're not conscious of mortal sin, uh, then you've got these uh, seven gifts and 12 fruits working in you. They may be infantile in you, and you've got to work them like a muscle in order to grow in your life, like fortitude or courage. You don't think yourself a very fortuitous person. You don't think yourself a very courageous person. But every time you're in a state of grace and you do a courageous act or a fortuitous act, you're exercising that virtue, that gift of the Holy Spirit, like you are a muscle, and, and it's growing every time. So the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, Michael, wisdom, this is all at a supernatural level now, uh, wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety and fear of the Lord, a holy fear of the Lord, a, a, a filial fear, not a servile fear, huh? and, and the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, the traditional listing of them, charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and chastity. I mean, these, these beautiful 12 gifts— and uh, 12 fruits and seven gifts, uh, these 19 presents that we get from the Holy Spirit to enact in our life that gives, gives us the know-how, the wherewithal to uh, be courageous, like Pope Francis recently, recently called all of us, to uh, be more vocal about the, the moral issues. But I, I believe it begins with a, a sound catechesis from the pulpit. I believe it also begins with a, a, an innate desire to want to live out your baptism and confirmation and seek out the great uh, resources that are out there, especially with the internet today. My goodness, EWTN.com, uh, Catholic.com, uh, Catholic Answers out of San Diego, along with EWTN.com. There's so many good websites out there. You can find the whole Divine Office now on online through different websites uh, that are faithful to the Liturgy of the Hours. There, there's so much out there. Uh, the lives of the saints and everything. So all the tools are there. 
you know, one of the one of the signs just before the second coming of Christ will be that uh, the gospel will have been preached uh, to every corner of the globe. Well, with the advent of the internet, pardon the pun the, of the use of the word advent there, Jack. Uh, with with the advent with the advent of the internet, that's going to happen pretty rapidly. Spread the gospel to every corner of the land. So yeah, Michael, you're right. We all have our, our, our job to do, and it sounds like you have a great desire to do it, and you're probably doing it already. So thank you so much for a great witness call today on Open Line Tuesday. Very quickly, we'll head to Kathy, a first-time caller in New York, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Kathy, just a couple minutes left with Father Wade. What's your question today? Um, very quickly, Father Wade. Um, nice to talk with you. But a little bit earlier, you talked about the re- resolution of temporal punishment due to sin while we're still alive here on earth and i wondered if you could expand on that a little bit yeah sure so we're we're we have to atone for temporal punishment while in purgatory because we died not yet perfectly purified how is that carried out remains a mystery okay we don't know exactly but we do know that it's a purifying process okay we do know that um it's, it's a purification necessary for heaven, Hebrews 12, 14, and Revelation 21, 27. Uh, it's an intermediate state of purification before entering heaven, Matthew 5, 26, and Luke 12, 58 through 59. And you can go back, Kathy, and listen to the podcast to write down these scripture passages. There's uh, different degrees of expiation for the different kinds of sins, uh, Luke 12, 47, 48. Um, the holy souls in purgatory can indeed be aided by prayer, Second uh, Maccabees twelve forty five, and then after expiation, heaven itself entering into heaven, First Corinthians three fifteen, and that's just a, a peppering, a sampling, if you will, of uh, the, some New Testament and the Old Testament from Second Maccabees uh, uh, scripture passages in defense of purgatory. So, how the temporal punishment, Kathy, is carried out per se, we don't know, but it is a purifying process. Many of the saints talked about. Uh, a, a purifying fire, as does First Peter, uh, the first epistle of Peter. Uh, so it, it could be that, whether it's a literal physical fire, we don't know. Uh, some of the greatest saints, with their writings fully approved by the Church, have given us visions of purgatory. Uh, for example, St. Faustina walks through purgatory, and she records everything in her diary, Divine Mercy in My Soul. There's a meditation for Advent, reading that section on Faustina's diary, in Faustina's diary on purgatory, she also saw a vision of hell. How about the three shepherd children of Fatima? They were also shown a vision of hell. And what did our Blessed Mother tell the three shepherd children of Fatima? Pray for poor sinners, especially the most hardened sinners who have no one to pray for them. This is why it's so important being an active, loving member of the church militant on earth, united with the church triumphant in heaven, and both of those states of the church praying for the holy souls in purgatory. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until we get together then, God bless. God bless.